Hi, and welcome to Finance Matters, a podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes they'll be useful to you on this road we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. I'm your host, Brandi Van Ormer. Here with me is my wonderful co-host, Patty Marbury. Hello. Patty is actually in Carruthers Hall today. Wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> second day. Uh, second day. I was in Carruthers Hall yesterday. And we actually got to see each other and we acted like two kindergartners going to school for the first time. I was like, Patty, you're wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Um, and Patty's not alone in Carruthers Hall today. She has with her a guest. Um, and our guest today is a member of the Finance Strategic Transformation Team. And he's interesting and unusual, not only just because he's physically present in a building right now instead of at home uh, looking at us via Zoom, but also because he is quite possibly the youngest person that we have on the team. Jack, introduce yourself, please. Thank you, Randy. Um, my name is Jack Sherwood. I'm a rising fourth year at UVA. I'm studying economics and psychology. Um, I joined the FST team as an intern in June. Uh, I enjoyed my summer experience so much that I happily uh, accepted the offer to stay part-time throughout the school year. And I'm excited for the fall and spring all the way up to go live. Awesome. Um, Jack, remind me, what's your, what's your major? Economics. That tracks. He <laughs> says. <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now everybody's reminded. Um, so we brought Jack in today, as you might expect, to talk about some intergenerational workforce dynamics. I think the last time that we talked about this on the show, we had Lisa Harris from UVA Human Resources to talk about the difference between millennials and Gen Xers and mm -hmm boomers. And that was a great podcast, which we'll link in the show notes. But at that point, Gen Z, of which Jack is a part, was an unknown quantity. Oh, the difference a couple of years makes. Um, <laughs> at, at that point, um, Gen Zers were mostly still too young to have entered the workforce. And um, still, statistically, Gen Z is the slowest generation to enter the workforce early in life with only 58% of Gen Zers uh, being employed compared to 72% of many millennials when they were the same age. So um, we're gonna talk today about not only Jack's experience on the team and Jack's um, perspective as a Gen Zer in the workforce, but also just how that works with um, other generations in the workforce we were talking before we hit record on the show about um, just in the past couple of weeks within the FST project, Patty had organized some um, focus groups for our folks at UVA who were around 20 years ago when we last did a major financial system implementation for Oracle, which if you do the math, the Oracle implementation is about as old as Jack. <laughs> that's true we had started on that project before jack was born <laughs> many great things came into the world at that time of the year um that time in the history we got jack we got oracle we can argue about which is better it's jack and 
Uh, now we're thinking about so implementing another big financial system. And it's just funny though, um, to think about the differences in um, how the people who were implementing Oracle felt about that uh, process versus how we're feeling about the process. A lot of things are the same. A lot of things are different. Um, we were in one of the focus groups for the, for the Oracle implementation stories. We were talking about um, training, Patty. I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we got back in the big group, but mm -hmm. one of the people in the focus group said, well, at least with a work workday implementation, you don't have to teach people how to turn the computer off and on. That is true. <laughs> and that made me laugh, but I thought, no, I mean, 20 years ago, that was a big deal. Yeah. So we all, have, we all have some constants that come from the generation that we're in. And then of course, we're all individuals. So some things are applicable that you may have heard about general um, stereotypes of generations and some things are not necessarily, but we're gonna talk through a few of those things today. So to start with, let's, let's self-identify. Jack is a Gen Zer. Patty, what are you? Um, Gen X, but I'm, uh, I hate to say this, I'm very, I'm very close to being a baby boomer. My husband would not be happy about that. I am a Gen Xer, <laughs> very close to being a millennial. In fact, my birth year, some people say is the start of the millennial generation, but I identify, like my, my experience is more Gen X, so I'm going to go with that. Except for I really do. My experience with Gen X and Baby Boomer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and maybe start out by um, talking about, Jack, your first impressions um, of being in a, a workforce where there's a bit, a broad mix of people. Like from your viewpoint, how has that looked? Honestly, it hasn't played, it hasn't been as big of a factor as I expected. Um, I think that given the nature of this project and uh, the common goal among everyone on the team and everyone you're working with, you kind of forget uh, the, the different uh, age. Age isn't something that you think about. Um, when I first joined, the first things that I noticed in terms of differences among the team were previous experiences um, in terms of employment, but also just within UVA finance. It, it appeared to me that a lot of the team members had been a part of different parts of UVA finance prior to the FST project beginning. Um, so I think that, um, you know, my initial viewpoint on this team was not a difference of age, but a difference of perspectives. Um, so. That's interesting. That's good. That is really interesting. And, you know, I wondered too, when I was thinking about our conversation today, Jack, how much being remote sort of equalize the playing field in terms of our preferences on working styles because we were all in the same situation. Um, Gen Z is definitely more likely to work online and collaborate with other people online because you've grown up doing that. Um, whatever generation, whatever they're gonna call the generation that my kids are at, um, they're going to have grown up knowing how to swipe phones and navigate yeah. their, their pads and stuff. Um, but we've all had to be in that world for a couple of years now. And it, I've noticed for myself that it is 
is a little bit equalizing in terms of where we are and what we're experiencing and how we work together. What were you going to say, Patty? Um, I was just thinking about when, you, as you were talking about different age, um, ages and generations, um, and just the playing field being equalized over Zoom, not only how we look, <laughs> but um, the, just the, the way that we learn, the way that we interact um, is, as you said, we're all kind of on equal footing in terms of all being on Zoom and not being in the same place. Um, but I was also gonna say that my daughters, I have two daughters and one's a millennial and one's a Gen Z. The millennials on the, they're only three years apart. <laughs> so the millennials on the end of, or uh, early millennial, and then the Gen Z is on the end, the early Gen Z. So just reading through some of the content that you sent us to prepare for this podcast, Brandy, um, I was pointing out or thinking to myself, because I took some notes and I was thinking to myself, um, were my kids like either of those things? <laughs> so it was just kind of an interesting thought about how I really liked how one of the one of the um, articles said, be really careful not to overgeneralize yes. about different generations because then that's where your biases come in and where you can, you know, think that all millennials, um, I don't know, or let's let's go with one of those statistics for Gen Zers, that Gen Zers only care about, or mostly care about money um, and less about the purpose or meaning behind work. And I just don't think that's necessarily true um, of all, or even most, I don't know. No, and I'm, I've, like you, Patty, I looked at some generalizations about the workforce, thinking about, the, and just like we did when we talked with Lisa in the previous, um, podcast that we've done about this back when millennials were the youngins <laughs> everybody had I think everybody has generalizations about whomever the youngest generation is because mm -hmm. when my when Gen X was the youngest generation we were the slackers we were the True. ones that couldn't commit to anything um, and millennials um, were the people that I remember for the longest time they wrecked everything millennials are destroying this industry and that industry by their preferences yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. but, so Jack, we're going to talk about Gen Z's generalizations for a second. Um, you're yeah, apparently- Yeah, we'd like to know how you feel about yeah, some of how you, Let's yeah. how you stack up here. 40% <laughs> um, of Gen Zers want to interact with their boss daily or several times a day. I don't know if we're supposed to think that's a lot or not a lot. But anyway, 84% um, of Gen Zers expect their employer to provide formal training. And that is something that I think I've seen a lot in these generalizations that we um, have of generations in the workforce, that Gen Z definitely is a little bit more focused on the career ladder, like expecting to have a path, which yeah. I think is only smart, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, that your communication style is instant messaging, text, social media. And I was thinking, that sounds great. Don't call me, man. <laughs> I want to identify as a Gen Z. Um, that um, folks in Gen Z are motivated motivated by diversity, personalization, individuality, and creativity. 
um, and that to manage Gen Zers, employers should offer opportunities to work on multiple projects at the same time, provide work-life balance, and allow them to be self-directed and independent. Now pause right there and say the FST project pretty much demands that from everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but I, I would, my guess is that you, Jack, like to work on different things. Yes, very bunch much. Bunch of different so. projects. Yes. Um, and I know that not not only because I think you've said that, but also because you have a lot of different projects that you're given. And that pops up in the weirdest meetings, to tell you the truth. <laughs> doing doing different things. Yeah. Um, and you take it like I mean you you seem enthusiastic about it. Yes. <laughs> not yes. you know so. Um, what other things did she say that resonate with you? So I guess one of the first things that I heard, one of the statistics that I heard that I had a hard time kind of self-identifying with, but also thinking of my peers is the formal training in terms of the career path and having mm -hmm. a trajectory. Um, something that I've found more and more as I get older is less and less of my friends want a formal career path. More of my friends want to do startups on their own. More of my friends want to create their own market, their own industry. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty large entrepreneurial spirit among my peers, at least at school. Mm -hmm. And even my friends from home who didn't go to a traditional four-year university, I have friends who went into the military who have the same mindset that they're using the military as a vehicle to start their own business um, and be their own boss. Um, and so I think that touches on both that formal training aspect and also the interaction with the boss, um, you know, wanting that those multiple interactions a day. I just think it's interesting because I feel as though more and more of my peers want to be not only be their own boss, but don't want that rigid career path structure. They're they're fluid in their, um, you know, which opportunities they take. They're willing to completely change careers or trajectories. Um, so I just think it's interesting that that statistic suggests otherwise. I'm not sure, Jack. Like the more I think about it, I think given the other facts that we read about, or facts, I'm making air quotes, the facts that we read about Gen Z, I've definitely read that you do have an entrepreneurial spirit as a generation. And mm -hmm. that tracks because of what the prevailing forces would have been in the world as you grew up in it. Um, that is one thing that's interesting to think about. This is a little bit of a, a side track here, but when you think about each of the generations, they're such broad groups sometimes, especially like boomers. That's a huge group of people over a span of uh, several years. Gen X is a very small group of people over a smaller span of years. But when we start at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about which one, if we were on the cusp, which one we felt more like. Mm -hmm. And I think that it really does depend on what those experiences were that shaped you as you were um, at a certain age. And when I think about um, like Gen X, the things that were supposedly shaping Gen X, they were things like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the AIDS epidemic, and millennials <laughs> are more Columbine, 9-11, the internet. And I think, yeah. Um, even though I think I did, my, my life experience feels like it is more Gen X-y, the experiences that I feel like your, my psyche was shaped by a little bit more were 9-11, Columbine, 
the internet mm -hmm. more than millennial stuff. Um, and it does track to me that your generation would be wanting to break out of some of those traditional molds and do things more independently and create creatively. So even though that's a that's a feeling that you your group does seem to have, how does that apply then when you're in what you might consider to be a more traditional work situation? I mean, I don't know about you, Jack, but when I, as a communicator, when I started to work in finance, I was like, this is like numbers based and you're in econ economics. So that, that probably wasn't a freak out factor for you, but finance is still a traditional, really traditional field. So how does that work then with the, the creativity and the liking to have your hands in a lot of things? Mm -hmm. So in terms of this role coming into UVA finance, um, even though I'm an economics major, I've never been huge into the more financial side of things. And I, I didn't really understand the difference between economics and finance until I started studying economics. Um, the path that I became passionate about in economics was more uh, resource allocation, um, finding equilibriums in terms of supply and demand rather than the more financial side. Um, for example, you know, the way I think of it now in terms of finance is more banking, um, you know, uh, Right. Uh, you know, accounting type stuff. Sure. Um, so coming into a role with UVA finance, I had only had in terms of education, I had I've taken two finance classes. Um, so I wasn't terribly comfortable with finance and I was a little nervous coming into it. Um, but honestly, I feel like being in the change management aspect of the finance team um, is a little uh, more manageable for me, a lot more manageable actually, because of my experience in change management and my kind of dedication to people. I, I really appreciated the people aspect of uh, this team. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of having my hands on multiple uh, kind of sub projects at a time, um, you know, I feel like maybe that is something that applies to my generation. I, I, uh, I, you know, I always like having multiple things to do. Um, I think the way that I operate on a working day is I work on one task until I get bored with that. Then I like having another task that I can do until I get bored of that. And then I keep, you know, I kind of have three or four things that I switch between throughout the day. Um, so, um, you know, I think that that is kind of a personality trait of mine that might apply to my generation. Um, even though I'm within a certain, um, you know, I have a certain role and I'm in a certain team that has, you know, a goal, even within that, I can branch out a little bit, try different things. Mm -hmm. You know, I will say, and I've said it before on the podcast too, that finance, the fi not finance as a field, but finance as in central finance at UVA is remarkably diverse in terms of what the kinds of things you get into and the tie to the human element of mm -hmm. what we do at a university is very strong. And Culturally, I think UVA finance has a little bit of a different feel than maybe you'd get in the same area in the corporate world, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wanted to touch on something that we talk about a lot on the podcast too, um, because you're the Gen Z, I keep saying your generation, it sounds so <laughs> accusatory, I don't mean to do that. Uh, but the Gen Z feeling on this topic is a defining feature of the generation as a whole too, and that's uh, diversity and inclusion. So we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion on the podcast because it's a big um, 
priority for UVA finance. Uh, Patty and I are on a team that does a lot of work with that across our department and you know, in partnership with UVA's greater goals. So um, it comes up a lot and it's on our minds a lot. And Patty, that's another way that you're um, a little bit more like a Gen Xer is because that that's a priority of Gen X and beyond as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Jack, Gen Z though, you blow us all out of the water. Um, your generation is the most diverse in history and 83% of Gen Zers want to work at companies made up of people from different cultures, races, ethnicities, and origins. Another 63% of Gen Zers believe it's important to work among peers with diverse skills and backgrounds. Seven out of 10 Gen Zers are concerned about feeling included in the workplace. So it's not enough just to be a part of a diverse workforce, but to be actively included. And Patty, you and I have talked a good bit on past episodes about the difference between diversity and inclusion. So mm -hmm. we refer you to previous episodes for that. But um, in general, Gen Z, more than any other generation coming straight out the gate, seems to realize the benefits of having diversity and inclusion you know, on their teams. And so I was curious to see what your impressions on that, that particular note were. Yeah, I think that that personally resonates with me a lot, but also in terms of my generation and my peers, I think it's very true. Um, just as like a personal anecdote, I grew up in a semi-rural part of Virginia that it's not the most politically tolerant, not the most diverse. Um, although I grew up, my family's very accepting, very um, you know, open to accepting new perspectives. Um, so I, you know, I'm grateful that I grew up with that uh, influence. Coming to UVA and um, you know, a place that has struggled with diversity historically, struggled with its past, um, but is on you know the cusp of you know, entering this new phase in UVA of diversity and inclusion, I've really felt as a student, I've seen it in action, even within my four years. Um, so going back to kind of my personal story, going from Spotsylvania County to Charlottesville, um, my best friend, his name's Armand, he is from India, lived, has lived in London for the past 12 years, years of his life. He's the first Indian kid I ever met, surprisingly. <laughs> Um, and he's my best friend. And, um, you know, I use him as an example when I go home and talk about, because when I go home, everyone knows about UVA pulling international kids, kids from all over the country. So when I went home for the first couple of times after that, people asked about that a lot. And, uh, you know, the people I've met, and I always bring up Armand because I think that my relationship with him really encapsulates the idea of both diversity and inclusion, because not only um, do I think that my friendship with him um, kind of shows my acceptance, but I, I also, as you mentioned, there's the, the vast amount of benefits of, you know, opening yourself and accepting, um, you know, these different perspectives. I think that I've gained so much from having friends of diverse backgrounds, even if they're not, um, you know, ethnically diverse, I think that cultural diversion or um, diversity is also important. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, it's something that I didn't realize as a, a kid just because of, you know, where I grew up and stuff. But I think that now um, I realize it in multiple ways, both professionally, I think that 
um, you know, you know, to go back to Armand, all of his ideas, that he, he's one of my friends who wants to have a startup. He's, he's a prime example of one of those kids with, you know, great entrepreneurial spirit. His goal is to take American ideas and bring them back to India. And he, you know, tells me about all these ideas or all these markets available in India that I would have never known about. And all of these, um, you know, industries that are just ready to take off across the world um, and the needs across the world sure. um, that, I, that I would never know about. Um, so I think that professionally it's eye-opening and also personally, I think that, um, you know, American values include uh, hard work, um, but also gratification in the form of money. And a perspective that he has shared with me is the personal gratification of success, you know, not including money in terms of just your personal satisfaction, um, you know, really just prioritizing yourself and not worrying about what others think. Um, I think that that's a perspective that is really um, kind of rubbed off on me a lot and something that I appreciate a lot because it's changed my mentality in terms of what I want to do after graduation a lot. And I, I attribute a lot of that to him. That's cool. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I, um, I, when, when I hear Jack speaking and then just thinking about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, my hope is that, and I know this podcast isn't necessarily about this, but I really hope that with future generations, it's just not a thing. Exactly. You know, yeah. like that, that it's just, just is diverse, you know, so people don't even need to think about, um, about it, you know, like, and it feels like with every generation, your expectations in that area yeah. change gradually toward it not being a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and because when I hear my daughter speak about diversity, you know, she's biracial, so she comes from a different perspective, but, um, but it's sort of the same thing, you know, like these things just are, we develop friendships based on shared values and shared interests and um, personalities and, mm-hmm. and not these external things or, right. and not excluding um, the, not excluding people because of anything either, mm-hmm. you know? So um, it's really refreshing. I'm really glad to hear that. It and, is and refreshing. Just, yeah, another thing I was going to say about Jack is that um, I because re- we're going through this training, this diversity training, and I hate saying it like that because it just sounds like mandatory diversity training, right. um, but we've had some really good conversations in these two training classes yeah. that we've taken recently, and um, I'll, I remember Jack, you saying in the, the last training, which was called, the training is called Allies for Racial Equity, and you mentioned maybe in your small group or whatever you talked about how do you keep how do we keep this going like mm-hmm. how do we make this so that it it is just the way we do business um and, and paraphrasing because I'm right. sure you didn't say exactly that but um and I just thought wow Jack gets it where you know I'm not throwing anybody under the bus by saying there are people that just don't. Right. And, um, I, and to Jack's credit, I mean, it, it, 
Jack, I firmly, there's two things that work here. I firmly believe that you're a good person, but also I think that there's a certain amount done for you being in a, a part of the generation you're in. And a certain amount was done for me being a part of the generation I was in that wasn't done for older generations, mm -hmm. just based on the experience we had and based on the exposure that we had as a given to other worlds <laughs> and other people and other ways of thinking about things. Um, sometimes I stop and think, especially as a communicator, when I rely on Google about 1800 times a day, I think, what would my life be like if I couldn't just like go to Wikipedia and get a good sense of something, <laughs> you know, it, we just have so much more at our fingertips increasingly every generation as we go along and we mix more with other people every generation. But the thing that strikes me about you personally, Jack, that I take as representative of your generation is not only that you feel a sense of inclusivity based on the factors that we were just discussing, but even when you were talking about the multi-generational workforce as you experienced it starting in finance, your conversation was more about people's backgrounds and experiences and them enjoying the same kinds of things that you like to do and you enjoying the same kinds of work projects that they like. And that that generation, your generation, seems a little bit more comfortable with the idea of connecting with people, like Patty was saying, no matter where or what or who they are, based on that those shared values, not on external factors, or even like where you are generationally or where you are in the workforce, like, you know, from sea level on down. Yeah. You find that's interesting. True. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking when, as you were talking, Brandy, I was thinking about James Gorman being a drummer and Jack's a drummer and they're from yeah. completely different, you know, um, areas. Or were you talking about Bill Ashby and how you had mm -hmm. an hour long conversation yeah. and, you know, just things like that where you can relate to people right. in different times of their lives I mean yeah and I know it sounds kind of cheesy to say that I don't see age or you know don't see race but if I'm being <laughs> completely honest I have never been good at guessing people's ages I if anyone in this team asked me have to guess how old they are I could not I don't even think I could guess and I think that that might be a personal factor as to why age is not kind of a differentiator for me um mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think that that's another aspect of it personally, but yeah. I think it's something that I kind of grew up with. Um, I've always found myself being friends with older kids, um, even though I'm the oldest of my siblings, which is surprising. So it's not like I was hanging out with my older siblings' friends. Um, I just always kind of gravitated towards an older crowd. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that has attributed to my comfort with, uh, you know, interacting with people not my age. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I um, one of the things that I, when I was reading through these stats, I thought was really interesting was the stat that said that more than millennials, um, Gen Zers like to interact face to face with people. You find that yeah. to be true? I, I, I mean, Jack was that. like, yeah, I want to come into the office. <laughs> yeah. I want to stay at home. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to be in the office every day I'm working. <laughs> so I thought that was funny, but I, I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's true of your generation. I personally agree with that 100%. I think mm -hmm. a lot of my friends do too. I mean, in terms of going back to classes, three weeks ago was our first time going to in-person classes in almost two years. And, you know, 
despite the fact that classes were going to become harder just naturally because you know teachers couldn't assign as much virtually you know whatever other factors were involved but everyone was so excited to have that human to human interaction again mm -hmm. even if it meant walking 20 minutes to class and getting there and you're sweaty because it's 95 <laughs> degrees out it didn't matter because your excitement to see your peers again was so high that yeah. it, nothing else mattered. So I, I think that that's true. Yeah. Just mop the sweat a little with your mask and go on. Exactly. <laughs> everyone's sweating. So it's not even, you know, yeah, no one's self-conscious yeah. because everyone is in the same boat. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you do you consider yourself an extrovert? Yes, 100%. Yeah, 100% yeah, extrovert. Anytime, when I was younger, I would, anytime I was not with my friends and I was at home, with my parents and siblings, if I was in a bad mood, the way that my parents would fix that is calling one of my friends. Like I needed that that interaction. You're, you're with other so humans. much like my younger daughter. Yeah, she's exactly that. I get tired from being alone. Mm -hmm. Honey, she, you're she, an extrovert. Shut your mouth. I know, but <laughs> but I can be. You know, like I feel like I. Uh, the older I get, the actual more time I like being. I I find some value in being alone, um, but. Um, my younger daughter is exactly that. She is 1000% extrovert. Mm -hmm. um, she is very, very outgoing, just like you are. She's really engaging with adults. Oh, well, she's an adult now too, but um, she's always been really engaging with adults. I didn't mean yeah. to cackle. It was just that little bit of mother perspective there that made me laugh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, but it's so funny because I just think, wow, that's exactly how she is. And, and if she's in a bad mood, just get her friends over and then she's fine. So one thing that I was reading about um, Gen Z that I totally appreciated um, was that although you're the most technologically savvy generation, like Patty said, you like the face-to-face -face communication and um, that the generation is marked by a preference for really clear, transparent communication. And A, I was thinking, great for you to be on this project because we need consistent reminders to be that way. <laughs> um, that was a, something that we committed to internally when we began the project and we don't always hit the mark and it gets hard sometimes to remember to just be plain spoken about things too, uh, no matter what you're talking about, honestly, when you're in a big group when you're in academia, when you're in the corporate world too, I think we tend to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit and get into that language of jargon and obfuscation. But um, I was reading those stats and thinking we could really do with an influx of people that insist on <laughs> clear, transparent communication. Let's do it. Yeah, I think that in I mean, personally coming onto the team, I remember even just my first week onboarding like you said, all the jargon and, um, you know, acronyms and everything. My first week was spent just learning the new language of UVA finance. But another part of that clear communication aspect that you mentioned that the, when you first mentioned that, the way I interpreted that, um, so maybe this is my you know, Gen Z, um, was in terms of kind of subliminal messaging in communication. So um, I think a big you know, to use the lingo of my generation, um, cutting out the fake, um, you know, speaking what you mean, not, you know, trying to please anyone, not trying to be set, you know, say what you mean, um, say it with integrity and, you know, stand by it. And I think that that's something that's true of my generation completely. Um, 
I think, you know, even with my siblings and I, when my parents say something, you know, they're trying to be cautious. They don't want to promise anything. And they're, you know, trying to be a little cautious with what they say. We're like, no, just straight up. What do yeah. you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's another way that I interpreted the, the, the clear communication aspect of that. How do you feel about jargon? Um, I think that in like professional jargon, so in terms of this project, yeah. um, you hear it all the time. Yeah, I, I know. It, at this point, it's it's integrated into my vocabulary. Yeah. So I don't think much of it at this point. But I mean, seriously, the first couple of weeks I was on, I had just lists, and I still have it in my notebook at my desk. Did you get, did you get level before. set on there? Did you? Yeah, get, and I. He's like, what does level set mean? <laughs> Socialize. <laughs> you know, Jack, I have hopes that every subsequent generation values that more and more and I was thinking about uh, my nine-year-old who when I try to uh, be vague around her she tells me that's sus bro mm -hmm. <laughs> sus, that's a very yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah I just taught my dad what sus meant last summer um, I don't remember the context exactly but it was actually it was my my at the time 15 year old brother it was at the dinner table and my brother said to my dad, dad, that's sus. And my dad was like, what are you talking? He started freaking out. He didn't know what he was talking about. He thought he was, you know, being disrespectful. Being disrespectful. <laughs> exactly. He's like, no, 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 I promise. It's just like what you said wasn't fully transparent and it felt a little shady. And, yeah, it's suspect. You know, yeah, suspect. <laughs> exactly. That's, I think that's where it derives from. Yeah. Only <laughs> suspicious. Yeah. People like uh, to shorten words. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I think that that's, um, that's a like Patty was talking about refreshing things about uh, subsequent generations, younger generations. And one of the things that we've identified seems to be that just sort of intuitive expectation of inclusion and diversity. And also just being upfront, like you were talking about, being, um, having honest communication and having been a part of older generations where it felt like you kind of had to like, play a game or walk the walk and talk the talk kind of stuff um, to like learn a new language and a new way of being to earn your way into a world. Um, that's uncomfortable. And it feels like subsequent generations, especially yours, um, don't really see that as a thing that they must do in order to be successful and to bring something. In fact, it seems like you feel more hampered by that if you were bringing your best self to the work. So that's really cool. Hooray for you guys. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about things that are true or maybe not true about Gen Z and kind of explored um, this new generation in the workforce. Um, Jack, Patty and I are just curious. When you've done so great since you've been in finance, like probably you've done well to the point where we may be giving you an unnecessarily big head because we think that everything you, you do is awesome and we tell you about it and you're probably like, God, stop it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you are as a Gen Z person, one of the first people to enter the workforce. And if we looked out across UVA, people, of, people in your age range are few and far between. I think statistically you're like, I don't know, I think like five to 12% of the workforce total at this point. Um, and that's across all uh, industries and, and such. So definitely within academia, it's, it's an even smaller amount if you take out student workers. So 
you, no pressure, but you can be kind of uh, a real informational person for our listening audience today. Um, we're going to wrap up the podcast today talking about um, things that you weren't prepared for when you entered the workforce and maybe what others should know about Gen Z as uh, they enter the workforce. So that's kind of where we wanted to wrap up. So Patty and I are wondering, what, what surprised you? What weren't you, what didn't you feel prepared for or don't you feel prepared for as a, an incoming professional? Yeah, so I think, um, and this has to do with the traits of my generation, I think something that I, was not prepared for and still am not entirely comfortable with is the human to human confrontation regarding, I don't know, I guess touchy questions and not touchy emotionally, but questions like how long should I be working? How, what, what quality level is good enough in terms of this project? Um, and there are questions that I tend to avoid and I just, you know, fulfill those to my satisfaction. So I like to work a lot. So I like taking on a lot of responsibilities. So I don't stop asking for projects. Um, same with my hours. Like I didn't know how long I was supposed to be working for the first couple of weeks, honestly. I was just working until I didn't have anything to do. Okay, <laughs> so full disclosure, man, we talked about that about you. <laughs> and Patty, I know that before I even started, I. I mean, I didn't have anything to do. I was done with school. I had just finished taking the LSAT. So I was just kind of waiting for this job to start. And I was just reading a lot. And I remember Patty Angela telling me to stop. You know, you're volunteer reading right now and you don't need to be. Um, so I think that something I wasn't prepared for is asking those questions of when should I be doing this? How long should I be working? How, you know, how much time should I put into this, you know, specific uh, project. Um, and I think that that has to do with my generation's, um, desire to communicate indirectly because a lot of those questions require direct communication, direct confrontation and not confrontation in a bad way, just in the sense where it requires, you know, one to present a, a, a problem to another, um, and it might feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that's something I wasn't necessarily prepared for, um, but something that I'd like to continue to work on um, personally. Uh, in terms of more of the hard skills, I didn't know going in what exactly would be required. So taking on a job with UVA Finance, um, I didn't know if I would be doing balance sheets and bank statements. I didn't know if I'd be doing, I honestly didn't know how much finance I'd be doing. And I was honestly afraid to ask, and I was just going to you know, if I didn't know how to do something, I was just gonna learn how to do it. You know, Google, you know, watch If someone so, ever harvests my Google search history and realizes how um, ignorant that reflects me as being, I'm gonna be real embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think a lot, I think the kind of common thread among these is just communication um, regarding, you know, not knowing when to ask questions. Um, I think that's something that my generation is not necessarily prepared for. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's an effect of our, 
migration towards indirect communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the big, the big one. Um, you know, I feel like this position was particularly unique just because there was a lot of transparency going into the job. Um, I, even though I didn't ask every single question I had, I felt like a lot was presented to me and eliminated a lot of questions I had. I think that, you know, Patty and Angela did a great job onboarding me slowly. Um, you know, I was introduced to the team first. And I think that that's something that eliminated a lot of um, potential, uh, you know, a lot of potential discomfort. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this position was unique, but dating back to other jobs I've had throughout, you know, high school and you know, earlier in college, um, I think a big problem I had, I might have to stop and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this is an editing part. Um, <laughs> A big problem I had was all the uh, alcoholism and drug abuse. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, that's. I think you've done a good job of describing it. Um, just wrap it up there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting to me though. I wonder as you talk about that. Um, I think that it's probably exacerbated by your generation having the general characteristics that it does and you being the kind of person that you are. But I think there's a certain amount of that too that would be in any younger generation entering a workforce, like not knowing the norms of Mm -hmm. um, a professional environment, especially because a lot of us come from like the service industry before we enter into a professional setting. So, I mean, I think the things that... I learned at the Harrisburg Dairy Queen did not necessarily prepare me to manage my own time very well in a professional setting. <laughs> I can still make a curl on an ice cream cone, but <laughs> I, yeah, I had to learn about time management and boundaries and all that good stuff. So let's go to our, our second question then to kind of wrap us up today. Again, you know, you're one of the first Gen Zers to make it into the academic workforce. You're just a uh, leading the way for everybody, bearer of the torch. Um, (laughs) What do you think it's important? What do you think is important for um, all of us millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers and the small little teetering group of traditionalists that we have out there before they retire? Um, What do you think is important for them to know about your group coming in? Um, I think it's important to ditch the stereotypes. Um, I think that I haven't had a lot of, um, you know, conflict regarding generational differences in this job, but personally, um, you know, I know my dad who is, I guess, Gen X. Yeah. Uh, he always complains about millennials not wanting to work enough. And, you know, you know, my grandfather doesn't understand why we're on our phones and stuff like that. And I feel like there's always just this assumption that it's out of laziness or out of, you know, there's just this lack of desire to contribute to society. But I think that for, you know, traditionalist um, thinkers who are, you know, accepting these new, uh, you know, my generation into the workforce, just be open-minded and don't always assume the worst out of um, habits or ideologies that you might not understand initially. You know, I think that something that my generation um, has promoted in a very healthy way is work-life balance. Um, You know, in terms of 
you know, the idea that millennials in my generation don't want to work hard. I think that that's a misinterpretation of us taking care of ourselves and us taking the time we need to, you know, be mentally sane, you know, have a healthy mindset mm -hmm. um, and to think about more than just the bottom line of the company we're working for. Mm -hmm. Sanity um, is not an overrated thing. Right. Yeah. And I remember when we had this conversation, Patty, you'll probably think back to this too, when we were talking with Lisa, um, of course, at that point, our baseline, our lowest, uh, the, the youngest on the totem pole were the millennials. And um, that group, as Jack points out, kind of started that renewed focus on work-life balance. And I remember us talking about how grateful we were to that generation getting that more in the focus of the world of work because that benefits everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and we were also talking um, on a break that we took before uh, we started recording the last half of the podcast that it, it, this, these feelings like the generalizations and stereotypes Jack was talking about go both ways. Um, yeah. Definitely uh, whatever generation is on the more experienced side of the totem pole is always looking down at the, the new guys going, yeah, kids these days. Um, but uh, there's a temptation too um, when you're the younger ones. And even I do this, not that I'm like older than dirt, but um, I look at some generational differences and think they're just not gonna wanna do that because they're, and you know, in those Oracle focus groups, I remember thinking, um, wow, like at some point I will be close to retirement, having gone through, like, I'll be looking back at the FST days and going, wow, that was archaic that we did then. <laughs> and I'll be refusing to accept, um, probably just because I'm cantankerous, I'll be refusing to accept something new because um, I want to rely on email and texting and there'll be something new and different at that point. They'll be beaming the thoughts directly into Jack's head at that point and I'll still. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That would be nice. We would have to do any training. No, we just downloaded this right into your brain. So you don't need a printed manual. You don't need a job aid. You don't need a video. Just dial it up. All right. So Jack, it's been so fun to talk to you today. Um, and Patty, thanks for the prep that I know that you did for this one. And we're going to refer people back to that initial podcast that we had with Lisa Harris to get like that bigger sense of the picture. But um, this is kind of like part two. Um, and maybe, Jack, you'll be around with us long enough that whatever um, my daughter's generation is called as we welcome them into the workforce, we can talk about those crazy little folks. Um, <laughs> and he'll come back. He'll come back. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Yeah, he'll, he'll come back and say, this, I've learned more. About he'll come this. back for the FST reunion. FST <laughs> reunion tour. Oh my gosh. To all of you out there who um, do not have a Gen Zer in your workforce yet, they're coming and you could only be so lucky as to get yourself one. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us today. If you have any ideas for future episodes of Finance Matters, don't hesitate to reach out to Patty or myself. We're always excited to get new ideas, to have uh, new recommendations for topics, and to have new folks to come on and talk with us. And on that note, Jack, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And for our listening audience, keep doing good work because what you're doing matters.